Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. You are now listening to Season 7 of the show. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. I've got some exciting news for you. Legally Speaking Podcast is hitting the road and heading to ClioCon 2023 in Nashville from October the 9th to the 10th. Imagine two days jam-packed with game-changing insights, networking opportunities, and the chance to connect with legal minds from around the globe. Whether you're an attorney, paralegal, or just someone passionate about the world of law, this conference is for you. So mark your calendars and join us at ClioCon 2023 and see you in Nashville. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Jeremy Hopkins. Jeremy is the Director of Legal Operations at Content Square. Jeremy previously worked as a practice manager, senior clerk, and director of clerking at several barristers' chambers. He's held positions such as Head of Operations at Riverview Law, where he played a leading role in growing the firm's reputation in commercial legal marketplace. Since then, Jeremy has held positions such as Client Relationship Manager, Legal Operations Manager, Senior Legal Project Manager at the likes of Baker McKenzie, and sat as a Head of Client Services and Legal Operations too. So Jeremy has a wealth of experience in senior leadership roles, management in-house legal departments, law firms, and more. So a very happy birthday to you, Jeremy, and a very warm welcome to you on the show. Thank you, Rob. Wow, that, that guy sounds amazing. <laughs> you, you got me. <laughs> I think we've got the right guy. Before we talk about all your amazing project experiences to date, we do have a, a customary ice-breaking question here on the Legally Speaking podcast, which is, on the scale of 1 to 10, 10 being very real, what would you rate the hit TV series Suits in terms of its reality of the law if you've seen it? I haven't seen it. Um, isn't it something that young people watch? So I wouldn't have seen it. So I'll, I'll just put it a, a, a five in the middle so I don't upset anyone. That, well, that's a good guess because actually that's what I rated it and I have seen it. So uh, great minds think alike. <laughs> but let's move, let's move swiftly on to talk all about you and, and your career. So obviously I touched on it loosely in the introduction, but would you mind telling our listeners just a bit more about your background? Yeah, sure. So I stumbled into into legal about 30 years ago, not deliberately. I never wanted to be a lawyer or anything. I kind of did it at uh, what we call A level in, uh, in in the UK. That's a kind of pre way, way before degree level. And I didn't go any any further. And I just found it interesting. And I stumbled into a job just working in the courts, working in admin in the courts, saw law happening. I thought this is kind of fun. Um, got a job in a barrister's chambers, which is really a managerial role, but the, the context is legal. And then really from there, it just it evolved into being understanding and, and kind of overcoming this this perception of law, these kind of revered super brains, these amazing people, and actually starting to realize that they're quite normal. In fact, so normal, they need to pay me to do some very mundane things that they didn't seem capable of doing. And that sort of over time, that you know, the, the, the general theme throughout my career is actually understanding the, the, the gap that exists between this incredible intellectual legal brain and actually the reality of where that legal knowledge needs to be applied. So I've sort of carried on in that space between lawyers and service delivery. So barristers' chambers in the UK, these are trial lawyers, specialist trial lawyers. So the way they're set up is purely focused on courtrooms, court hearings, all the organisation and everything that goes around that. I did that. It's very much a sort of closed shop. It's frankly, it's pretty well paid. It's pretty specialised. It's it's very yeah, it's very closed shop. Typically, not many people move out of that market. I, uh, for that reason, I think, but actually, I only realised when I when I did move out of it after twenty or so years how valuable the skills you build up are. Um, and I was lucky to I was lucky to to move out because we had in twenty twelve we had the Legal Services Act in in the UK it was two thousand and seven, but it its impact was felt in about twenty eleven twenty twelve. 
enabling new players, new entrants into the legal services market. And one such um, new player was a company called Riverview Law that was set up as, as a deliberate noisy disruptor, all about focus on the client, all about customer focus, all about getting rid of billable hours, you know, really loud message, slightly brash message at the time. But it started up base, basing its service delivery model around using barristers' chambers because barristers are self-employed individuals. So you've got this kind of freelance pool of, of, of legal brains that you don't need to have on, on the payroll. So it was a great start. And as a result of that, a result of my, frankly, my presence on Twitter and a lot of blogging and a lot of just sort of visibility in the, in the modern, modernizing law space, I came into contact with the CEO of that company, started working for them. And in a way, it sort of thrust me into the, into the world of business and law and in-house legal and, and turning law into a product, outsourcing services, what value means. And that sort of world, really. So that was back in 2012. And I've just found that whole journey away from the legal side to the client side and now trying to find the balance in the middle where you optimize what you get out of lawyers. But you also chuck in to the mix business now, technology, process. So I feel, you know, I find myself in a sort of comfortable home, working in-house, sort of drawing all of those things together. Yeah, and you've obviously built up a, a wide range of, of skills and experience. And I was sort of trickle through on onto that in, in, in due course. But sort of going... Back to, you know, obviously you've been practice manager, you know, obviously clerk. What For people who may be less familiar, you know, what duties do you have as a clerk? And, you know, tell us a bit more about that sort of time as in Barrister Chambers. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, because, again, it's the name. Barrister's clerk is kind of, it's a clerk. But actually what you're doing, you really are the front door to this legal service. So your, your day job as a barrister's clerk involves taking, back then, taking phone calls. We had telephones, taking phone calls from solicitors who in the UK are other lawyers, non-trial lawyers. Who would contact you your day job would receive an inquiry saying hey i've got this kind of dispute for this kind of a client uh, i need a, a court hearing on that date i've got this budget all that kind of working out what the problem is who is the right lawyer who's got the right expertise to do that who's available can we negotiate the price can you make sure it's delivered on time and all of that so really what it's a kind of in a way it's a sort of thing that, that it still amazes me so even though the, the the customer if you like was a was a law firm would be coming to me and the big law firms i was, I was working in sets where i was dealing with all the there's a big global law firm all the things that they will be asking for i want a fixed price i want it done by then are all the things their clients would ask of them but, but wouldn't get and i've always found that kind of interesting and that's something i've always brought with me you, you are wherever you are in this market there is a problem to be solved it needs some legal knowledge um, it needs an output for a certain client that's going to do something for them in their world so you've got those different perspectives you have to match up so at the barristers parking world was very much i kind of it, it was immersed in that yet i'm not not quite sure i realized it until i moved out of that world into a place where i'm thinking hang on i'm asking all the questions that probably aren't being asked because they're obvious to me from my world but but not not to anyone else yeah and again thank you for for, for sharing that and let's go back to where you were you were talking about your your, your careers and Sort of sort of moves as well because we've touched on it you move to become the head of operations at, at review law i love the sort of disruption nature it's something that i'm just all about so and um, what strategies did you sort of implement to establish and grow the particular reputation of river view law um particularly in the commercial legal marketplace it was well it was a brilliant team to be part of it was a really exciting journey the, the whole the, had proper investors from from business and actually people typically it was it was funded by sort of private investors it had a um there was a, a stake from, and it was quite well publicised at the time that DLA Piper, the law firm, had a had a, a small stake in it. But the idea being to 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 com completely disrupt. But there were there were it was very professional. We had a slick brand. 
website, publicity, but that the key thing was the brand. Everyone within the business, internally, external facing, everyone talked in the same language. It was about value. The strap line was legal input, business output. It was all about giving, thinking and listening and doing what the, delivering what the, the market wanted and, and getting away from the law firms are set up to, to provide benefits to law firms, to make profits, to make PEP, to deliver the billable hour. We were the opposite, the antithesis of that, yet we still used and leveraged the credibility of, uh, of top lawyers. So, so for me, it was the messaging, um, the professionalism, just the, the sort of marketing disciplines, the targeting. We did we, lots of events, real focus on in-house legal, real focus on a product that worked for in-house legal, outsourcing the business as usual, fixed annual fees, business as usual, you can fix a price for, capturing data, building processes, just giving people dashboards that we're explaining to them how to reduce their legal requirement, not more, not billable hour, you want to do more hours. Our job was, if you're on a fixed annual subscription to provide a certain service, it's your job to make the reduced demand, which is just like an in-house job, not to reduce, not to generate more demand so you can build more hours and make more profits. Your job to make more profits was actually to be profitable, not to generate revenue. So um, it, so the incentives aligned, and I think you're getting that message across. So the whole foundation and the fundamentals of positioning the business aligned with the brand. It was, a, it was, it was real. It was authentic. Well, the challenge was, was delivering it. You had, to, you had to put your money where your mouth is. If you're talking efficiency, technology, you've got to do that to leverage and, and make a profit, which ultimately um, we did because the, the, the business was bought by EY in, the, in, in 2019. So um, they, they saw something uh, promising in it but that was a that was a, a really interesting uh, journey yeah and a great success story there as well and a great example so let's talk about some of your other roles as well because i mentioned in the introduction you've also been a client relationship manager um tell us about your time was oblic support so how did you support the leadership and become a senior member tell us more there so Obelisk is, a, is a, a, again, it's another business that's in the disruption space because it was another one of the sort of new law models. But it, it was, um, it, the great thing about it was it, it was quite similar in, in different behind the scenes, but a similar delivery model in that it was there to deliver what businesses wanted, a need for in-house legal teams. But the, 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 the happier side of that, it was doing so based on delivery from contracting from free, freelance lawyers with a focus on, on women and enabling women's careers. And, and primarily enabling women who, who would, would take a career break to have children coming from a city firm and knowing they going back to that city firm, they, they, they just wouldn't, despite all the, the talk, and I'm sure it's changed a bit these days, we, we, we won't go there, but despite all the talk, they weren't being supported on their return, or even if they were, they were being regarded as, as secondary because they couldn't put in the hours. The obelisk was designed to enable people to take control of their careers, um, and it really caught on because actually the buyers, uh, um, you know, GCs wanted to buy responsibly wanted to buy uh, legal services from really good lawyers who, who just weren't empowered to work in city firms anymore. and they kind of realized you could just get the top caliber talent from that pool that was otherwise get, getting lost so working in an organization like that with with a with an inspirational leader um, but being part of the I guess it was leveraging all my knowledge and, and being so immersed and embedded in the in-house legal community was trying to align the kind of align the Perception of the business as a not a bums on seats, not a temping agency. We're a legal services provider because you could. I, the, the, my the, the whole sort of mission was to say, okay, if a GC says, well, hang on, you're a temping agency, aren't you? Here's why we're not. We're a legal service delivery agent because, and these are the reasons why. This is what we understand about your business. This is how we deliver. This is the process and technology we we use. So even though we're made up like this, all you see is you you put your request in and you get your answer. Our job is to do the heavy lifting 
to reconcile what your needs are with our sort of talent base. So you're doing that bit in the middle and getting that message across and being able to deliver it. Again, you, you've got to say it and then you've got to do it. So it was a similar thing, but from a different angle. And it was actually a joy to be part of something that's made such a big impact in you know encouraging diversity into uh, and it has thankfully uh, it, it hasn't changed enough i'm sure and i know uh, uh, dana uh, the, the, the ceo w- would not be happy that things have changed enough but sure they've changed a hell of a lot in, the, in, in that time put you know a lot down to organizations like that really banging the drum and and really making a big impact uh, to buying behaviors as well as influencing others uh, like it or not that they have to improve their you know to the profession yeah, and I absolutely agree. And I, I support because we also had Donna come on the show talking about sort of what they're, what they're doing. And I think it's great that, you know, you, you sort of, you know, share that share that vision. And obviously, it's tremendous work that you, you did there and, and what they're doing. And, you know, we actively support that on the show. Um, I guess talking more about your career, you've previously worked, as I mentioned, in the intro sort of legal operations manager. You're also senior legal project manager at the likes of Baker McKenzie. Um, you know, you've had quite varied roles, legal operations you know in what ways have these roles evolved and varied across different companies and firms that you've been part of because these these job titles just didn't exist years and years ago <laughs> connected to the legal industry that, that is absolutely true and it actually all goes although the titles are all changing everything goes back to what i was explaining about barrister chambers actually it's all about reconciling market needs with your with your service delivery but there are just different dynamics and different priorities and actually working for a law firm i enjoy working at baker's it's a nice firm i met some lovely people got some amazing experience working on some you know some huge huge either deals disputes investigate all that all those kind of things so there, there's masses in there but you just see the other dynamic so you you, you i sort of put myself in there on a prospectus of having a really good network in in-house legal understanding what they want i can help shape the delivery of services towards what in-house lawyers want we can be innovative we can use more technology and it was yeah great we need someone like you but actually and that was great and that was embraced but ultimately you're still once you're in you are still up against the big machinery of billable hours targets that, that whatever anyone's best will in the world is to be innovative and deliver these things, that is always looming over you. So you end up being, with, although everyone wants to do all these things, ultimately that isn't your, your, your main driver. So you see in all law firms, and frankly, it was possibly watered down more there than others I, I think I've had experience of, but you won't get away from that whilst we still have the, you know, the billable hours model in the big law firm partnership. But having said that, you had access to amazing people, you know, brilliant quality people, a nice culture. And yes, there was a desire and to use technology. And there was a great use of, of, of technology. And that's going back a while now, five or six years ago. But there were some, some you know, brilliant systems and processes used to manage large deals, to do closings, to do due diligence and all of those things. Whatever the tools you use, you know, back then it was SharePoint, may still be SharePoint. I, I kind of think it doesn't matter the tools. If you've got a mindset. Uh, the, the, about doing things in a process-oriented way, eliminating duplication, using data across platforms, those sort of things. Applying that, you can't really deliver some of these massive global deals without doing that. So that mindset was embedded. So there wasn't a kind of, hey, you've got to build a business case and an argument to use this. You had to. You couldn't deliver those kind of deals without it. And there was a great team and a great bunch of people. So actually, even though I kind of a, a bit of a critique of the model, but the journey and what I learned and it's just become invaluable as the journey continues. And, and I, I like that. And I always people, particularly with careers, legal careers, it's building blocks. You know, every role is sort of a building block towards your, your journey. You're picking up tools, experiences that you can ultimately then bring to your next role, develop, learn new things. And, you know, as of today, um, you know, you're currently the director of legal operations at so for those who don't know what maybe a director of legal operations is, would you mind explaining a bit more about the role 
and then of course telling us more about them. Sure. Um, so not not for the first time in this conversation, I'm I'm um, mentioning a misnomer. So so legal operations has become quite a a recognised role, but it isn't really all about operations. Operations is a bit of it. It's it's in a way there isn't. The, the, the real name is too mundane. It literally is management of the business function that is a legal function. So you deal with all elements of that. You deal with the strategy, the brand, the financing, the budgets, the spend, the technology, the tools, a bit of um, resource management. It is all of the the management, business management elements. It's everything but the giving the legal advice, delivering the actual legal advice and drafting, really. It's become, I guess, the I think it's more prevalent as I've seen, and it is a key element of it, is the process of the legal service delivery, building systems and processes that embed the legal team within all areas of the business. So you can deliver effectively, you can deliver at scale, you can automate as much as you can, but you can identify where the risk is and make sure the lawyers are focused around the key risk and value, and you can automate the things that aren't. So it's prioritizing getting the most out of the resource and going back to the fact that as an in-house legal team, your job is to reduce and manage demand not to generate more um, so everything every single thing you do is about multiplying efficiency multiply scalability so you can't end up doing if you start you you go into these roles typically on a sort of green field you've got you've got your, your blank sheet of paper if you just start looking for work to fill your days it can be meaningful and valuable work but unless it's work that's going to scale or in, enable and empower others and have knock-on effects you'll end up just building yourself uh, kind of brick water to smash your head into so you have to be quite ruthless and you actually have to reinvent yourself quite frequently because you can very easily get comfortable becoming a, a support function whereas actually if you're doing your job right you'll set everything up uh, and you'll make yourself redundant in that area you'll make yourself redundant totally but you won't because there's always change there's more change needed to be done but you t- tend to find you get super super comfortable and then you've got to find yourself uncomfortable again because you've got to, got to find new areas to deliver value and we talk a lot about that on the show, particularly from a sort of development point of view, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable and ensure that, you know, you're going into those rooms where you're going to grow, learn and, and you know, ultimately move, move forward. So let's stick with the content square then, because, you know, it's a, an AI platform, people not familiar, um, you know, an AI powered, should I say, platform, providing rich and contextual insights into customer behaviours, feeling and intent, enabling businesses to build empathy. I mean, some people listening to that might just think, wow. So can you tell us more about what the software development platform stands for? Time for a short break from the show. Are you looking for a way to get your firm working more efficiently and profitably while ensuring a better work-life balance for your team? Well, if you haven't considered our sponsor, Clio, I'm here to strongly recommend that you do. I absolutely love working with Clio. Not only is it the world's leading legal practice management and legal client relationship management software, it also has a really solid core mission to transform the legal experience for all. Something I personally support. What sets Clio apart for me, it's their dedication to customer success and support. There are lots of legal softwares out there, but I know from talking to Clio users that their support offering is miles ahead of the rest with their 24-5 availability via email, in-app chat, and over the phone. Yes, you can actually call in and speak to someone. Clio is also the G2 crowd leader in legal practice management in comparison to 130 legal practice management softwares and has been for the last 14 consecutive 
headquarters. G2 Crowd is the world's leading business solutions review website. You can check Clio's full list of features and pricing at www.clio.com forward slash legally dash speaking. That's www.clio.com forward slash legally dash speaking. Now back to the show. I think in its world, digital experience analytics is the is, is the probably a known description for UX professionals within retail and the web um, sort of part of the market. The aim is software that enables organizations of, of all sorts to monitor, manage, optimize what they get or what they offer their customers online. So it's analyzing, understanding customer journeys, what frustrates them, what delights them, what connects people with either whether it's revenue or whether going to pages they want to, delivering a message. So it's a really close and deep analysis of behaviors in a way that goes beyond just clicks. It can be hesitations, movements. Um, I even learned the term rage clicks. Have you ever heard of rage clicks? I hadn't heard no, of that. No, tell us what they are. Do you ever go to a website and something won't click and you go, oh, funny things Oh, yes. What are those? So it, it, it's that deep. So it goes under the skin. It goes beyond basic analytics to really, it's almost the equivalent in a store to having people walking around the store looking at, oh, that person's looking for the, the, the tomato ketchup and, and can't find it. And they're really angry because it's not next to the brown sauce. So go and tell the management to move it to the brown sauce. It, honestly, it's, it, it's kind of that fundamental. But of course, the nuance and the complexity of doing it on the web capturing a lot of data points and being able to really powerfully push that into a, a usable format to enable people to just deliver better to their customers. So it's a, it's a really exciting, um, it's an exciting product um, and it's an exciting team. The company's grown. Um, I'm, I'm just getting on for almost two years and I think the employee number's grown from 700 to 1700 in that time. The legal and compliance team was about 22 when I started. We're now 50. Um, we were probably in four or five countries. We're now, I don't even know the number, around 15 or 16 i think um i don't quote me on that oh no we're live <laughs> but that's <laughs> that kind of number so the growth has just been um immense but what i like about that is is that the company's still got a kind of startup growth mentality everyone gets it there's ambiguity everywhere which is a challenge but it also if you've got that mindset across the business everyone gets it so so you feel comfortable being innovative but particularly in a legal team you have to feel comfortable with dealing with all of that change whilst managing the risk but it all comes down to great leadership great culture um i'm happy there the people are you know, there's a brand of person that, that that works in this business and even as we grow and it's well hang on we're getting grown up now um we're becoming quite a big serious business um we really don't want to lose and it's impressed upon us from the leadership we don't want to lose that essence of what what makes us what we are what makes us so engaged um and, and creative and what sort of frankly the competitive advantage in both within the business and actually within our legal function as a as an effective legal unit it comes down to, to, to the essence of what the people are all about what we what we stand for and, and what we see each other and what we see is important yeah and i always say you know you know business is made of, of, of the people the values those core values shared but bringing different perspectives to help grow um and move the business forward and i think you gave a great example you know it's well known that you know we always say data is the new gold or the new oil um that example you just gave there of being able to get that data and actually then make better informed decisions from an online perspective value so you know let's let's talk a little bit more about ai generally what extent do you think ai is growing in importance both not just necessarily the legal profession 
but in the field of software development and how can directors like yourself utilize AI to ensure more menial tasks? So this is an interesting one because I think the the visible significance of AI has come to the fore in, in the chat GPT area. Um, I've been working with AI tools in legal for about the last 10 years um, and I can see what they do. And I think here's the difference. You can see what they do and where their strengths and weaknesses are. My fear is that GPT and generative AI generally is masking over, it's kind of, it's creating this illusion. Those weaknesses are still there, yet it's, 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 you don't realize they're there or it can be put in hands where people think, well, this is so credible and amazing. I can use it. So I, I don't actually think that much changed personally. I think if you use it in an applied way, and I, I, we regularly daily use AI tools in Content Square for contract analysis, but typically just as a, a very kind of broad example, I would say these things are 90% accurate. Um, but you don't know which 10% isn't, and you need to know that. And you need to understand where its workings are to know where that risk is. Depending on what questions, I've done various different queries and calibrations on things, or some I can look at, the, pick a few from the data set and think, it's nailed this, this ain't going to be a problem, I'm going to trust the other thousand, we're good. There are others where I can see, hang on, it's coming up with that answer, that, it's not interpreting that right. Um, because, frankly, it's not, it's not intelligent, is it? It's big data. It, it, it's not thinking like a human mind. I think people forget that it's coming up with the results that may have come from the human mind or may look like they did. And I think understanding that difference, it doesn't work the same. It isn't intelligent. So you've got to understand that difference. You can get the most out of it. So so get cut through the hype and treat it as a very useful and powerful tool um, in the right hands, understanding the limitations and applied in the right way. And um, I feel our, our use is growing. We're getting more value out of it. We're working with some very good tools. Um, that plug into our CLM systems and automate a lot, and it's all good. But it's not. This has been just an incremental improvement in my use across different organisations in the last ten years, and I think that will continue. I don't see a massive. I think it's it's caught more attention because of the generative element and how polished it looks. But I don't think there's any personally, and I'm not an expert. I'm just seeing what I see in legal. I'm not seeing, and actually, if you look at the chat, even on in, in, there's a lot of chat online on social media about it. When, when the question gets, okay, well, give us a use case then. What's your greatest use case? That It all stops a bit. It's all about this could do that. This will change everything. Law firms are going to die. No, actually, I think there'll be incremental efficiency. In-house teams can get a lot out of it um, and get gain a lot more efficiency, but it's always going to be incremental and it's always going to require that knowledge of spotting where the risk is. Yeah, and again, I think you've given a really good example there. I think the main thing I always encourage people and talk about with this is just embrace and stay curious and be open to learning um you know particularly with um ai going up the speed that it is um, i mean you've touched on it but just to dive a little bit deeper you know as part of your role you're you're doing a lot you're leading innovation technology scalability strategy business impact and fun we need fun in the workplace very important so what does a typical day like look for yourself as sort of director of legal ops interesting well so it's it's a it's a mixed bag really the, the funny thing is there's the kind of there's the the proactive things because you know, as i said you're constantly reinventing yourself and spending time with leaders of business units actually on a kind of discovery thing. What else can we do? What do you need us to do? But you're not looking for work. You're looking for opportunity to, to develop efficiencies and scalability. So we have an out, outbound program of both liaising with department heads within the legal functions, you know, litigation, IP, employment, commercial, um, and also business units within the organization, whatever it is, marketing, sales. So those are, those are sort of, there's a sort of constant outbound dialogue going on with those. Um, there's a lot of systems improvement. So we, we have various enterprise platforms to do all sorts of things, whatever you've got your sales force, your work there, and those things, and how we integrate our systems with that and making sure every time a system changes, 
uh, we know what moving parts there are, where things integrate, um, and, and where data comes from, and, and to keeping everything rigorous. So there's there's constant in a large organisation. There's a constant sort of program, if you like, of of outbound discovery as well as monitoring and, and managing. Um, there is within the legal team. There's a, a program of of capturing data, monitoring what we're doing, monitoring resourcing, who's busy, who's not busy, um, where's the work coming from, where's it going, are things preventable? They're not preventable. Have we got enough resource? Do we need elsewhere? We spend time administering, monitoring, managing outside council spend. Um, so that's also part of it. I've got a small team. There are four of us in legal ops um, doing various different things. Um, but but I, I always say legal ops isn't really a team. Legal ops is a discipline. I've got a brilliant team and everyone, we have a Slack channel very humbly called uh, legal ops wizards. And we encourage people to, if you're doing anything in your day job and it's annoying you, just stick something in that. Just tell me now. And I don't want, I'm sorry to bother you, but this isn't working or this is a pain. Just put it in there because we can fix things usually very quickly with a tweak and it'll be done. It'll be gone. So we want to hear about that. So we get the whole team who buy into the whole idea that anything that if you do the same thing twice, we can probably make that not happen. So the whole team buy into that. Um, we have a lot of fun doing it. We have a lot of fun trying to be creative. And sometimes we say, well, no, we can't fix that because some things can't be automated. That's fine. As long as we we automate what we can, um, and then then we focus the resources on what can't be. So long story short, it's a big it's a big team effort. So it's not it's a small function of people with a label, but it's a discipline that our, our whole team have to understand and and um, buy into. They do. Yeah. No, it's it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? How uh, you know the the world of work has has moved so forward. And I guess let's um, talk about skills then. What skills do you think are necessary? To possess to be successful in senior leadership and management roles, such as the ones that you've had throughout. There's a. I'll start. There's a lot of generic ones that that will be a bit boring. For me, the the key in this place, and it goes back to it goes back to my perspective and, and what I talked about at the beginning, is understanding at one end of a spectrum you've got a, a super powerful legal brain, and at the other end you've got a a a need for a service or an output, a need for, which is probably going to be commercial or personal. And, and that bit in the middle. So for me, the, the most important thing, there, there are lots of other things, but the most important thing that, that really supports effectiveness is having what I, what I call a commercial empathy or, or organizational empathy, understanding what everyone else everyone else's angle looks like because you're having to reconcile all these different things. So being able to quite quickly visualize how a business works, how all the different parts go into it and where legal fits in and having that vision for me that's a really really powerful sort of multiplier within that you can either be you're not going to be everything in in legal ops you need a process mindset you need to understand what process is avoiding duplication data rigor so you need to have almost that legal project management kind of or just general project management mindset and rigor to some extent you don't even need to see the project manager but you need to understand logic processes systems there's a technology piece if you're good at that great there's the financial management piece. If, it, if you're good at that, great. You're probably not going to get all of them. You need to understand the significance of them and how, how they tie into each other. But there's a real mixed bag of those there. And actually, I'll, I'll add one last one that, that probably underrated in, in importance is, is communication. How you position yourself as a legal function, how you communicate, and how you get everyone to communicate as a brand and how you behave, that really shapes how the business view you. And you get you hear about these scenarios where people say, "Oh, the legal department always says no, and there always blockers and everything." That typically comes from you're there to say no. Frankly, you, I don't oppose saying no when you should be saying no. But if if you built yourself the right brand, when you say no, people will say, "Okay, if legal said no, then it must be a proper no." 
because we know they will always try and find a way. And if they so that all comes from the way you communicate, both literally on a tactical level when you send a message around, when you send an email, or when you put a a, 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 a web page or whatever you do, but as well as your your whole way of interacting. So having that, I don't think people understand the importance of of making sure that the whole team buy into that as your own brand. How that impacts the whole. It makes if you get it right, and I'm very lucky to be in a place where that works well. You just don't have any of these issues where you get misunderstood or you're worried about saying, "Hey, so I want to be a business enabler. I want to make this happen." It's kind of people get it because you've done all the hard yards in identifying the elements of that and what you're there to achieve and what your purpose is. Yeah, really well said, and, and thank you for for sharing that. And I want to pick your brain one final time before we we wrap up. You know, what would be your advice to professionals looking to take on leadership or management roles, or maybe someone who's a qualified lawyer looking to maybe look at a different role connected to the legal industry, or someone looking to break into the legal industry but not necessarily looking to go down the SMB route? Okay, so <laughs> I hate giving people advice because I don't, I don't regard <laughs> myself as anyone to <laughs> to speak. There are too many labels on things. You can either go this route, this route, this route. I'd complete open mind about what you want to do and how you want to do it. I think the, the, the way the market's changing, particularly the way in-house is changing, there is scope for you if, you if you've moved from a, or if you've got legal qualification and you don't want to practice law and you want to move into delivery, there is real scope to do that. But if you start thinking, well, how do I go from being a lawyer to being, actually you were already across all of those things, but probably your emphasis or the visibility of those elements in your mind, it's been shaped by your background. So you just need to free up and open your mind. That, that shouldn't be a barrier. But I'm sure it's easy for me to say, but you've got to unlock that. And the other way around, you're a, dare I say it, non-lawyer, as I've been my whole career, uh, and you're worried about this barrier. Again, there isn't, I've realised that there isn't a barrier. I know what lawyers do. I know what lawyers don't do. And I, it's kind of, it's not, it's not that bigger, bigger hurdle or bigger barrier. So I, I just think that open-mindedness, should, we should, people should stop typecasting themselves because of fear of that I'm not this or I'm not that how to transcend it or you can listen to me telling you and i get it's not easy because these labels are still more in the legal industry than anything these these labels are still prevalent and still mean so much and, and sure you need to cling on to these things for, for familiarity but my advice is that most of them are illusory whether you're a partner whether you're a legal ops professional whether you're a project manager it's kind of you're all in the same place and actually everything overlaps it's just a question of emphasis and and, and perspective yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And I love that you talk about kind of that open mind uh, approach. Um, and I've loved learning more about your your journey, Jeremy, and what you've been doing and the types of organisations you've been and all things technology. It's, it's just right up my street and our listeners are going to absolutely love it. And I'm sure they're going to want to to follow you or know more. So if they want to follow you or get in touch about anything to discuss today, what's the best way for them to contact you? Feel free to shout out any social media handles you use or web links. <laughs> we'll also share them with this episode for you too. Yeah, sure. Well, you can find me on LinkedIn, but um, I, I guess Twitter, Jezhop, J-E-Z-H-O-P. It's my Twitter handle. Uh, and actually, I'd love to hear from people because I, I, I built a, a big network in Twitter back in maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And there was a lovely legal space. As we all know, Twitter's gone a bit, whoa, politics and crazy. And it's actually got a bit noisy. Um, and the legal community has been watered down through that, which I miss. And, I, and I'm trying to keep in touch with it. And I find it harder. So if anyone wants to connect with me on Twitter, including yourself, Rob, and, and start a conversation. I'd love the opportunity to try and get a bit more visible and, and active there too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so, so much, Jeremy, for, for joining us on your birthday. Happy birthday <laughs> from all of us once again on the Legally Speaking podcast. Wishing you lots of continued success with your careers and future pursuits. But for now, from all of us, over and out.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you like the content here, why not check out our world-leading content and collaboration hub, the Legally Speaking Club, over on Discord. Go to our website, www.legallyspeakingpodcast.com for the link to join our community there. Over and out.